Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, February 19th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next hour or so, as we go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me here as two guests join me on the program. The first professional handicapper, Brian Leonard from wagertalk.com, where it talks to Major League Baseball, in particular with a focus on betting spring training, which starts here on Saturday. We'll also talk a little bit about the NBA coming out of the All-Star break. Then in the second half of today's show, Wes Reynolds will join me from VEASAN. We'll talk week three in the XFL, and we'll also take a look at the two golf tournaments coming up here this week. Those are the WGC Mexico Championship and the Puerto Rico Open. Over at bangthebook.com, we are your one-stop shop for sports betting news and information. Tons of stuff going on over there. Today, this afternoon, going to post the 15 American League season win total previews. Tomorrow will be the 15 National League season win total previews, along with division pennant, player futures stuff, all that kind of thing. Then on Friday, I hope to have a link up for the PDF that has everything all in one place. So over the next three days, tons of baseball content coming your way over at bangthebook.com to get you ready for the 2020 regular season. But it's not just baseball over there. We've got golf, a preview from James Mazzola of the WGC Mexico Championship. I wrote up a preview for the Pennzoil 400 this weekend's NASCAR event out in Las Vegas. Almost done with the UFC preview for this weekend, which is down in New Zealand. We've got daily NHL, college basketball, NBA, soccer, tennis, esports. You name it, we got it over at bangthebook.com. Once again, your one-stop shop for sports betting news and information. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Two guests on the program here today, and we start with professional handicapper Brian Leonard from wagertalk.com. Brian, how's it going today, man? Hey, everything's going great. Uh, you mentioned baseball, getting excited, uh, pitchers, catchers, uh, games will be starting this week. Um, if you are a fan of baseball, uh, I believe the MLB package uh, gives you a ton of spring training baseball. And it's really a learning experience if you're getting ready for the season, uh, because obviously the announcers know all of the guys that are going to be playing early on, uh, a lot of the younger players. And they'll give you uh, some opinions on if this guy, if the team is really looking towards this guy, is this somebody that could be come up later in the season? Uh, chances of making the uh, opening day roster, the uh, the forty man roster. Um, if you don't follow a lot of baseball all season long, it's a good time to learn. Um, being an Indians fan, I watch all the Indians preseason games, but. Uh, also, it's a good thing for watch, taking uh, taking in at least one uh, preseason game, uh, exhibition game, um, spring training of each team. That way, you can get a little bit of a look on what they're saying about some of these players. And uh, these are the these are the teams they follow on a daily basis. So you get some information there. We're just watching a three-hour baseball game that it would take you probably a while to really go out and research um, from a prospect standpoint. Yeah. And a lot of these guys, you know, the depth guys that are going to be playing in case of injury, you've got a lot of young pitchers that wind up being non-roster invites guys that aren't on the 40 man roster because they're, you know, 21, 22, 23 years of age. 
they're still pitching in double A. They're going to get a chance to kind of showcase what they're able to do. And don't lose sight of spring training. I know you've got the NHL trade deadline this week. You've got the NBA coming back. Last couple weeks of the college basketball regular season for some of the small conferences. Last three weeks for the big conferences. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but don't lose sight of spring training. Most importantly, too, of the injuries that are popping up here already for these teams that you know can have an impact, some carryover into the regular season. Um, you know, we talked about some of them on last week's show. A guy like Cole Hamels. Obviously, this week we've got somebody like Mike Clevenger who's probably going to miss all of April for the Indians as he comes back from that torn meniscus and, and the surgical procedure. So there's also that too. You're going to find out you know how much of an impact some of these injuries are actually going to have. Now we can talk about that more in a few minutes here, but spring training games start on Saturday and you're one of the people that thinks that there's value in betting these spring training games. You do put money out there on these. You do put them out to clients. I'm sure you'll have some stuff on your Twitter page as well at B Leonard sports, but what are you kind of looking for here in terms of finding edges for spring training baseball? Yeah, I treat it very much like hockey. Uh, I don't want to play favorites. I look for underdogs. Uh, last year, I gave clients plays in 23 days. I made eight units of profit all on the underdogs. And a lot of people will look at the starting lineup and base their bets on that. In fact, the line, a lot of the line is based on who the starting pitcher is and who the starting lineups are. But when you start spring training, these guys are on a limited pitch count. Um, it's one of the few times where you could get a listing, and Twitter's really good for this. You can get a listing if you follow the beat writers and everything for the uh, each and every team. They'll come out and tell you who is going to play today. They don't say how long, but they'll have a listing of you know five pitchers, six pitchers that are going to go uh, early on. It's even more. Uh, you know, the coaches aren't playing necessarily to win these games, so they're not going to bring in the players at the exact same time, you're not going to bring your closer in um, at the end of the game. If the closer is on the schedule, they're just going to bring him in to pitch, you know, anywhere from the first inning to the seventh inning, eighth inning, whatever, just to get his work in. Uh, so it's totally different than it is in the regular season. And what you want to do is take a look at how many pitches this pitcher is going to, sh to throw. They will tell you who the starter is and how long they expect to be out there. And sometimes they'll actually say he's working on his fastball today or he, he plans to work all throw all off-speed pitches today. That's a huge advantage. When you see somebody like Chris Sale is going to come in today and he's going to pitch, you know, 40 pitches and he's working on his, his off-speed pitches or his fastball, that's a big advantage because the other team already knows what's coming. And they can get bombed in these situations. And, a lot of times people will look at something like that and they'll say, well, this guy just doesn't have it anymore. But you've got to realize, you've got to put it all in perspective as to what he is out there trying to do, what the coaching staff is trying to do. And um, you're able to, uh, it's sort of like exhibition football where you've got to do a lot of reading. In baseball, you don't have that same kind of reading. Uh, it, it's pretty much available to you and you could use that to your advantage and and like I said, we'll, we'll see lines based on, you know, let's say the Dodgers are playing Miami. Um, I don't, well, I don't think they're going to play Miami because Miami doesn't play in the Arizona Fall League. But anyway, they'll be playing a bad team. 
and uh, you'll have one of their aces going, and all of a sudden the line's, you know, a 180 favorite on the Dodgers in an exhibition game. And I've been to so many of these spring training games where there is no sense of urgency to win these games. So you could get a major advantage on being able to uh, to play these dogs. And I think the dogs are really the only way to go in these uh, in these spring training games. And uh, most people want to play the favorites. They want to play the teams that are good. They want to play the teams with the ace pitcher. And that's exactly the opposite of what you should be doing in spring training. Yeah, and I guess I lied. Actually, the first spring training game is on Friday between Texas and Kansas City. Whole slate of games coming up here on Saturday, both out in Florida as well as in Arizona. And you got a game, for example, on Saturday like the Dodgers in San Francisco. You know, I don't know who's going to wind up starting that game for the Dodgers, but everybody expects the Dodgers to win, you know, 115 games, win the World Series. Now they got Mookie Betts, all that. San Francisco is going nowhere. None of that matters in spring training. None of that means anything. The Dodgers do have a lot more depth, obviously, but you know, a lot of those guys probably won't play in that opening game. So not only are you going to find out you know, the pitching rotations and who's going to wind up following who, and like you said, you know, this isn't a thing where it's like, okay, well, you know, we're using, uh, you know, we're using James Karinchak today for the Indians, who's going to be one of their primary relievers. We're going to use him in the eighth inning. That's not going to be the case. And more often than not, a lot of these relievers early on in the process will work in the third or fourth inning in hopes that they face the other team's better hitters. So that's going to be part of the equation here too, where some guy who's probably not even going to make the team is a non-roster invite, probably closing the game out in the eighth and ninth inning, something like that. But you can know exactly who is going to pitch and when. You'll know who's going to be in the starting lineup, who's going to probably follow those guys the beat writers are invaluable and spring training is very, very long for them. I know, uh, you know, some of the beat writers for the Indians have already been out there for about a week's worth of time now, but you know, they will give you all of this information. It will be in their game recaps, looking ahead to the next day. It will be in their game notes. It's almost like ex you know, preseason football in the sense that you're going to know the starting pitcher is going to throw 40 pitches or two innings, whatever comes first, the starting quarterback is going to play the first quarter. It's just like that. You're going to know that type of thing, and then you can bet accordingly based on that. And like Brian said, I don't really see any reason more often than not to lay big prices in spring training. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I just, I, I'm a big proponent of the athletic. Uh, I don't cost you like $100 a year or whatever, and you get a lot of great articles. There was one of the articles, uh, they were talking about some of the guys who are beat writers in spring training and what they try to accomplish, what they do. And a lot of it, came down to availability uh, during the regular season. These guys are They have a strict uh, amount of time. They're on the field and practice and all this other stuff. And it's rare you get a chance to sit down and have an interview with them. But in spring training, you could just go up to a guy because he's only going to pitch an inning or something. And then he's got to do his laps and, you know, maybe, maybe throw a little on the side and then he's going to go golfing. So you've got a chance to actually sit down with these guys and get good information from these players that you wouldn't get during the regular season. So if you're preparing uh, for the regular season, reading in the preseason, uh, the exhibition games and uh, is really important. And from a fantasy standpoint, I know we both like to play fantasy baseball. It's tremendous, the information that you get. Normally, I go down to Arizona for a couple of weeks. I'm not going to do it this year. I'm going to take a break this year and do everything from home and uh, 
by watching the games and reading all the articles here, but it's really a big, uh, a big advantage when you know these players. We've talked about this in the past. You know, baseball as opposed to every other sport, you know, people look at the 25-man roster, the 40-man roster, but in baseball, you basically have 10 starting pitchers. An average team will have 10 starting pitchers as the season goes on. So if you just come into the season looking at the, the five starters, you're doing yourself a disservice because you don't know anything about the depth of these players. An average team will go through 10 starting pitchers in a season. So you basically have a lot more people than, like in the NBA, you're going to have basically 15, 16 guys that you got to worry about all season long. In uh, baseball, is totally different. You may have 60 guys that will make an appearance in a in a game in baseball. So you need to know about each and every one of these. And a lot of the guys that know that take advantage of that during the regular season when one of these guys gets called up for a spot start. So the time you spend in in uh, preseason baseball definitely pays off all season long. And I, it, it, baseball is one of those things that's it's a day-to-day sport. If you fall behind, you're really hurting yourself trying to catch up in baseball. Uh, it's not like football where you, you got all week to catch up on your work. Baseball, it's a day-to-day situation. And as many times as teams have hot streaks, cold streaks, you need to know about them. And if if your power guys are, are in a slump, that's a major concern in baseball. If you got one or two guys that are your main power sources and they're just not hitting, seeing the ball well, uh, you got to be able to know that. Well, and, and you brought up a lot of good points there. And, you know, I think The Athletic is a great resource. I really do. It's totally worth it. I know people bitch and complain on social media. Well, I want to read your stuff, but it's behind a paywall. Just pay for the damn thing. It's worth it. Those are the best beat writers that are out there in the business for these respective teams, not just in major league baseball, but in the NHL, NBA, NFL, so on and so forth as well. I get a lot of great information from there every single day. It is completely worth it for me. There are other free resources. Obviously fan graphs is definitely one of them. You've got all the stats over at baseball reference. Um, you know, you've got uh, Statcast data at baseball savant, which is one of my favorite websites to look at. You got some paid content at baseball prospectus as well that, you know, I think, can be worth it depending on how deep dive you want to go with the metrics that are out there. But the nice thing about a lot of this is, you know, there are boots on the ground at spring training, you know, because the numbers by and large don't mean anything to me in spring training. There are some stats that do things that stabilize at a very low sample size, like strikeout percentage, like walk percentage, like batted ball distribution, ground balls, fly balls, and line drives. Those things stabilize at very, very low sample sizes a lot of other stuff doesn't and you know this as well as I do from going to spring training out in Arizona and I just know it from following the game offense is the thing in Arizona the ball carries very well it's hot dry air there's really no resistance whatsoever unless it's a very windy day some guys may put up big power numbers in Florida it's rainier it's a little bit more seasonal a little more humid stuff like that maybe the ball doesn't carry as well You've got pitchers only throwing fastballs for two innings or four innings or whatever they're trying to work on. You got guys only throwing breaking balls. Maybe they can't command them. Maybe they walk a lot of guys. A lot of stats in spring training don't necessarily mean a whole lot, but if you're watching games, getting your eyes on how things look, or if you're reading people that are actually there, that's going to shape the story and shape what you really want to take away 
from these spring training games because if you're a slave to the statistics, you're going to wind up overvaluing or undervaluing someone, a lot of someone's, and it's going to hurt you when the regular season gets going. Yeah, you mentioned some of the great sites out there. Uh, baseball reference. Uh, the other day, uh, an offshore sports book in William Hill here in, here in uh, Nevada put out a prop on how often the Houston Astros were going to be hit by a pitch this year. And somebody put that out, and it went for like a couple hours, and everybody's going in. They go, oh, that seems awful low. That seems awful low. It took me – I was at the hockey game, and it took me – uh, two minutes to get on baseball reference and see how many times it, uh, the Astros were hit by pitch last year and how many times in the league it had gone over that number. And I think Astros were hit somewhere in the mid-60s, 63, something like that. And the league as a whole only had three teams that were hit more than what the over was in this uh, in this prop. So it was a betting opportunity, and so many people out there were just going off the top of their head when you could spend, like I said, it took me two minutes to get on baseball reference and get all the information I needed based on something like that. And it it was just, uh, the information's out there. You just got to go out and get it. And so many of these places are are so well organized that it doesn't take much long, much time at all to be able to get that information. No, it really doesn't. And, and again, I mean, there are a lot of great resources out there. And, you know, both Brian and I are very much into the sabermetrics, into a lot of the advanced statistics. You don't necessarily have to be, but I do talk about in my betting guide some of the shortcuts that you can use, some of the things that you can really look to, you know, capitalize on uh, from a from you know the statistical standpoint. There, by the way, I believe that number for the Astros is eighty three and a half. Correct? I've seen eighty three and a half. I've seen eighty nine and a half at a different place. Uh, obviously, it makes a big difference. And obviously, at this point, the numbers have been hammered out. If anybody was looking to to middle that but uh yeah 83 and a half was the first thing i saw and everybody kept saying oh it's gonna be a lot higher than that here's a question for you i thought about this because we're talking about preseason baseball uh there's been talk that if you hit a player there's going to be suspensions and that kind of thing in the regular season who's to stop a player from hitting especially when you've got so many young people that aren't going to make the major league team Who's to stop, stop somebody in the preseason of hitting an Astros player and getting it out of the way now when nobody's going to get suspended? And if they do get suspended, they're a minor leaguer. Who's to stop that? Nobody. I mean, yeah, yeah you know, because you're going to have guys that you're going to have these young pitchers that maybe are just on the 40 man or are just non roster invites. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they want to get that clout in the clubhouse. So they're going to throw at Alex Bregman or they're going to throw at Carlos Correa or something like that. And like you said, it's going to have no impact whatsoever on that team because it's a guy who wasn't going to make the opening day roster anyway. And somebody could very well get hurt for the Astros if that winds up being a thing. So I agree. There's nobody that can stop that. By the way, I just picked an arbitrary starting point here over at Fangraphs. I picked 1965 as the season. So from 1965 to 2019, there have been... 32 individual seasons of teams getting hit more than 83 and a half times, 32 times in what that's, you know, 55, 54 seasons, something like that. It's happened 32 times. Now, obviously I understand this is a very unique situation to say the least, but 
depending on the, the harshness of the punishments here for Major League Baseball, and Rob Manfred has already said, don't retaliate, don't hit these guys because we're going to protect this team. Some players are going to do it anyway. But again, over the last 55 years or so, 55 Major League Baseball seasons, it's only happened 32 times. That, that line is too high. Maybe it does go over, but that's a plus EV bet to take the under, in my opinion. Yeah, and you go back and you look at the uh, <clears throat> excuse me the uh, older the older years that you go farther back you go. It was common practice that they policed themselves. So uh, there was in my off the top of my head, I would say back then they would hit the players more because back then that was how you did things. You, you if somebody uh, tried around the bases slower than what they they should, that guy's going to get hit the next time he comes up, or the next guy in the lineup's going to get hit. Anymore with, I'm not, I don't want to sound like the get off my lawn guy, but baseball has not done that over the last few years. Everybody's friends back in the olden days. Uh, you didn't hang out with the players on the other teams. Now they do. That's, you know, that's one of the big things that the, the older fans don't like about the NBA. Um, but everybody's friends now. You're hugging before the game and all that. Uh, baseball now is different than it was then. There, there were more likely to throw at somebody on purpose in prior years than they would now. So that makes it even more reason to look for the under. But like I said, and like you pointed out, this is a totally different situation. Yeah, for sure. And again, like I said, I mean, the, the, the first time, you know, somebody gets suspended for this, I mean, keep in mind, guys don't get paid when they're on the suspension list. So it's not just going to be a fine. It's going to be lost, you know, game checks and stuff from being suspended. So you know, I don't know how many guys are actually going to take this into their own hands and kind of say, screw it. And, you know, just sort of give some, uh, some, some discipline to the Astros themselves. But, uh, you know, Hey, once you start taking away paychecks and start suspending guys and whatnot, finding the manager, finding the organization, it's probably going to stop rather quickly. So that is definitely something to keep in mind here. But again, Lots of good spring training insights, good coverage out there. Uh, Brian gives out spring training plays based on the edges that he sees. Uh, again, a lot of underdog stuff there that we're looking at. So, again, spring training games starting up here on Friday. Don't just dismiss them. You know, try to keep them in the proper context and also try to find some of the betting opportunities that are out there uh, for these different games. Brian, anything else on the baseball side you want to mention before we hop over to basketball? No, we can do whatever you like. All right, well, it is my show, so I guess we, I guess we can do uh, whatever I like here on the program. But again, uh, good information there with regards to spring training baseball. And uh, will be a lot of good information in my MLB betting guide, which, again, I will start posting some of those season win totals here on Wednesday with the American League. But the NBA comes back on Thursday night. Brian, we got six games coming up on the Thursday night docket. I believe we've got nine coming up here on Friday. So, Hitting the ground running, got that TNT doubleheader coming up on Thursday as well. You know, teams got to get back into the rhythm now. They got to come back from vacation, come back from that R&R, get back to the NBA schedule where, you know, we got about you know, 25 to 30 games left in the regular season. What are you kind of looking for here as the NBA comes back off the break? Oh, one of the things I always look for coming out of the break is – the players that were in the all-star game festivities, they, at least in my mind, they're more likely to still be in a rhythm because you're out there, you're with, you're with the other players, you're getting excited to be in the all-star game. Um, it's a situation where basketball is your focus. If you are the Golden State Warriors, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Atlanta Hawks, for the most part, guys, 
who didn't make the all-star game. I know some of these teams have all-stars on them, but those guys have been checked out from not only by the time the all-star, or excuse me, the all-star break started, but some of these teams have been checked out the week before, and we all know how that is going back to when you were in school, summer break, and the whole bit, and I can't blame them. And they have, they've had these, uh, these vacations with the family planned for a long time. Uh, those are the teams and the players, I think, that are really going to struggle coming out of the break. Uh, for example, the Bucks are playing the Pistons in uh, in the first game on the schedule on Thursday. The Bucks have obviously the best player in the NBA uh, took part in the All Star festivities. The Bucks have some quality veterans on that team. The Pistons traded away their uh, their biggest veteran and their All Star, so they've come into this and uh, they haven't had a lot of time to play with the new players. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Bucks just really take it to them. Another thing I look at is the teams that are veteran teams know how to treat these this first week uh, very similar to what they did uh, come, going into the All-Star break. And they know these games are just as important as the ones late in the season. Uh, teams that are out of the playoffs right now, you're, you're in tank mode, although with the way the NBA has set it up, it's not as easy to get the number one draft pick. But you look over the uh, the – players in college basketball that are be coming out is the number one draft pick going to be any better than number seven draft pick. So you may see more tanking, not from the teams that are really down low, the teams that realize that they're not going to make the playoffs and they're right on that bubble kind of thing. And uh, it's either they decide, you know, the management during the break is deciding, okay, do we have the players who are going to be able to make a push for the playoffs? Or, or should we start rebuilding for the future? Those are the teams I think we're going to find some value fading as we get into the second half of the season. Something like the Chicago Bulls, a team that does have good talent. They just haven't put it together this year. Maybe the management has decided, you know what, maybe we need another year of possibly getting a top five, top seven draft choice. And um, maybe, maybe it's to our best interest to... Uh, to rest some of our better players come the second half of the season. So um, that's some of the things that I look for uh, when it comes to teams coming into and out of the break. And it's, it's paid off in the long run. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things too, where, you know, if you've got a bad team in baseball, you may wind up getting a young guy pitching in high leverage at the back end of the game that, you know, if it's April or May, he probably wouldn't be if it's September and it doesn't matter anymore. Well, you want to see what that kid's got a little bit. So those are some of the things that these NBA teams are definitely going to do. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe change some of their rotations around, stuff like that. Something else I like to take a look at here, and I kind of did this with regards to the NHL All-Star break. And in fact, it's worked out pretty well with a team like, say, Columbus, where Columbus was playing at an extremely high level going into the All-Star break. Ever since the All-Star break, they've been awful. Teams that are playing really well don't want to stop. They don't want to stop playing because – they're in good rhythm. Teams that aren't playing particularly well, they're kind of fine with a break. They're kind of fine with an opportunity to sort of reshuffle the deck a little bit, kind of come back, wipe the slate clean, all those cliches that we always hear. So for me, you know, coming out of the break, a team like Memphis kind of concerns me a little bit. They won eight of 10 going into the break. They're kind of a fringy playoff team there in the Western Conference. Teams like Portland and San Antonio maybe trying to chase them down. Maybe the Pelicans now with Zion Williamson. Memphis is a team that I would kind of isolate as a team to fade coming out of the break because they were playing so well prior to it. They didn't want to stop playing. 
Now they got to try and figure out how to get back into that rhythm once again. A team like the Los Angeles Clippers on the flip side, you know, they win six of 10, lose two going into the break. Now all of a sudden, that's one of those veteran teams like you talked about that's going to say, okay, we got off to a hot start. We kind of dicked around a little bit in the middle. Then we slowed down going to the all-star break. Now it's time for us to go make that push. Let's go get that two seed. Let's go try to get the one seed. That's a team I'm looking to play on. Indiana, a team I want to play on. Lost 7 of 10 going into the break. Wiped the slate clean. Oladipo can catch his breath a little bit. Some of the other guys can too. I think that's a play on team coming out of the break. So I like to look at that too. I like to look to fade teams that were playing really well going into the break and kind of play on the teams that I know are pretty good but we're struggling over those last few games. Yeah, is it one of, one of the better uh, as a professional better, even 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 a, a fan of betting and you and you're just a novice, uh, you tend to remember what you just saw. And as you pointed out, uh, you know Columbus came into the break and uh, playing really well, come out weak. But for every one of those, there's a Tampa Bay who's just been on fire forever now. And they didn't change anything. And I think they have a little bit different philosophy. Theirs was they went to the play. They were the best team in hockey last year and went to the playoffs and got knocked off in the first round. Um, It's more important for them in in that regard to continue to play well because they've got something to prove, whereas Columbus was a surprise team last year. Um, So you got to take every team with a little perspective on it. And you, you talked about Memphis, and I think that was a that was a good example. Uh, the Clippers, on the other hand, are a veteran team that knows, you know, there there are only, in my opinion, there's probably only five teams in the NBA that can win the championship, and and really probably only three have a legit, a really good shot at it. So when you have a team that knows they're one of the top teams, as the Clippers are, the Clippers and the Lakers are the top two in the West. It may not be as important to uh, to get that home advantage, uh, especially when you consider they play in the same building. Uh, obviously, one team is the home team and one's the away team, but there's no travel involved. So they may be very happy to just end up at number two and not even care about being number one um, because it's just the one home game. I think when they get to the Lakers and they're playing in the same building. So. I don't know. That, that, that's, a, that's a strange situation uh, on, on the motivation. But yeah, it, it's uh, if you know not only the veteran leadership, how young these teams are, what their goals are. I know that a team like a Sacramento and a Memphis are younger teams. They came into the season very happy to be the seventh or eighth seed just to get that experience from a playoff standpoint for the future as opposed to other teams may get to that point and say, you know what, is it better for us not to make the, make the playoffs here and get swept in the first round? For example, in the East, whoever plays Milwaukee in the East is from the you know, number eight seed is going to be swept four games to nothing. So you have to take that into the account. Is it more important for this team to make the playoffs or not make the playoffs just to get swept in four games? So uh, it's something you have to take a look at from an individual standpoint. Does this team have veterans on the team? Is it a young team working their way up that doesn't have any playoff experience? Uh, Something to take a look at the last uh, few weeks of the NBA regular season. Brian Leonard, professional handicapper over at wagertalk.com. A lot of great stuff here on today's segment, man. Really appreciate you joining me as always here. What's going on over at Wager Talk right now? Uh, No videos today for a change. They took the week off. It's so hard 
when the NBA is on a little bit of a break and uh, when you're handicapping games for a Friday or Saturday, when you're taping on a Wednesday, sometimes teams are playing two games, one game by the time uh, we're talking about the game on a Friday, Saturday or Sunday. So uh, in order to give out the most up-to-date information, we'll continue to put out videos, but we'll do it from our own individual uh, websites, our own individual uh, videos that we do as opposed to going into the studio and we pay, uh, we're going to a, an actual, actual uh, major studio television studio to take these. So uh, we're taking the week off. First time I can remember, and we'll be back next week to do it. And I believe we've got some special guests, some guys that I really respect going to be on the show next week. So it'll be a good time to get back in action next week. Well, definitely looking forward to checking those out. And always make sure you check out Brian on Twitter at B Leonard Sports. Brian Leonard, professional handicapper over at wagertalk.com. Brian, appreciate the time as always, man. Like I said, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Wonderful. We'll do the same. Thank you. There you go. There's Brian Leonard again, professional handicapper over at wagertalk.com at B Leonard Sports on Twitter. And make sure you pay attention to all of his spring training insights. We got one more guest, one more segment here for this Wednesday edition of the show. That is with Wes Reynolds at Wes Reynolds, the number one on Twitter, regular contributor to VSIN and the Point Spread Weekly newsletter. Wes, how's it going today, man? Going well, Adam. How about yourself, sir? Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, man. And I know that uh, you were on the air on Monday night with the opportunity to talk about the horrific crash with Ryan Newman. And you and I were just talking before we started recording here that, uh, actually a picture on Twitter today of Ryan Newman standing up, smiling with his two girls. I cannot remember a more horrifying incident than that one. And I cannot remember being so relieved that a stranger was okay. Yeah, exactly. Because the race had gotten over uh, before uh, we went to uh, do the show and probably about a 45 minute window there or so or half hour. And, uh, you know, Fox uh, on the broadcast didn't have a lot of information. They they didn't give anything out. So, and they weren't really showing a lot of angles of the crash, and they weren't staying with the coverage. So, you you obviously gravitated toward thinking the worst. And I personally had that eerie feeling. And and I've been following motorsports in all areas my whole life. And you know when something bad happens. And I just thought. This is reminding me of 2001 when Dale Earnhardt was killed at the Daytona 500. And, and I, I, you know, I didn't want to say that on the air because obviously we want to be responsible and we don't want to speculate on what's happening. So we're basically giving updates that, hey, we don't have any information. And then uh, NASCAR and Steve O'Donnell, uh, the executives called a press conference and Gave, of course, the good news that it was serious but not life-threatening injuries, which is a, is the biggest relief because, uh, you know, we, we're a sport betting network, so we had to update, okay, who won the race and, and what the top five or ten finishes were and uh, what Danny Hamlin was in terms of a price, 10 to 1 as a winner. But you can't bury the lead. You get to the point where you do have to be a sport network, too, and you have to discuss – what has actually happened here and uh, obviously balance that showing the proper sensitivity and, and uh, compassion in terms of that, in terms of uh, what has happened, because, you know, whether you're a race fan or not, we're human beings and, you know, nobody roots, even though danger is a part of that is a part of motorsports. It's a part of it and it's part of the attraction, but deep down, 
I don't think anybody wants to see a fatality. And I thought, look, you know, you're not saying it, but you're thinking that, like, okay, something bad has happened here. And I, I, I thought uh, Ryan Newman was killed, but, but thankfully he's not. And seeing that picture with him that I just saw a few minutes ago with him standing with his two daughters because uh, he had gone through some adversity, too, because uh, he and his wife of 16 years, like a few days before the race, announced their separation. So it's like, wow, you know, this is uh, just to have all of this happen. Uh, so I'm glad for him and his family. And I'm uh, glad for the sport that they're not having to explain the fatality from that dangerous restrictor plate racing that they do at Daytona. Yeah, and I mentioned this in my preview this morning over at bangthebook.com for this weekend's Pennzoil 400 that, look, I mean, Vegas, a mile and a half track. It's probably not going to be the most exciting race, probably not a whole lot of lead changes coming in this one. But you know what? I, I don't think that's a bad thing for the sport or the drivers to just kind of have a follow the leader type of thing this weekend. Right. And, and look, Las Vegas Motor Speedway had this uh, uh, many years ago uh, when IndyCar was racing out there. And Obviously, on a high bank track like that, IndyCar, it is a way different setup, and cars were getting airborne. And unfortunately, uh, I remember, and it reminded me, this uh, Newman crash kind of took me back to Dan Weldon uh, here at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway when when he was uh, tragically killed. And uh, just when you're not getting that news, and it's like you know that the broadcasters that are bringing you the coverage on television or radio, that they know something but they can't say anything because obviously this is something you have to triple quadruple quintuple confirm before you report something like that and then being wrong. So it's that old, uh, don't be first, be right. Well, we'll move to something more lighthearted here. And that's the XFL where it's week three. We got four more games coming up two on Saturday, two on Sunday. And, Games are now six and two to the under. We kind of expected some more offense, some more points with the different conversion opportunities, some of the different rules, the clock structure, all that. But so far, all we've had, I think in my estimation, is a bad product. A lot of inefficient offenses. We've had a couple of good games here and there. We've had some players put up some very impressive numbers. But by and large, I mean, the, the ratings were down last week. Attendance was up, though. Obviously, betting interest is still pretty high in this thing. But... So far, it's just it, it's it's not a real great product, and I think it's still very difficult to bet on. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's had its hits and its misses. I think the the production, in terms of as a television product, has been very good. I like the transparency in terms of when you have a booth review that you're actually hearing the conversation between the replay official and the actual official on the field. Uh, I think that's good. I think that. That keeps the interest because, look, how many NFL games or even college games do we watch where they show the replay numerous amount of times and they're filling time? And, you know, these reviews can often take forever, whereas, you know, at least with the XFL, you get taken through the process. So it keeps you engaged in, in, in what you just saw. But, uh, yeah, it, the football, I think, has been hit or miss. The Sunday games ended up being very competitive uh, for, for week two. The uh, second game, which was uh, St. Louis and Houston, uh, a decent lead in if you watch the NBA All-Star game. Uh, the second game was very competitive and uh, ended up 28-25 to 25 Houston. Uh, so uh, at least a game where the outcome was, was kind of in the balance. So 
I think by and large, it was a little bit better in terms of a product in week two than it was in week one. But like uh, to your point, look, some of the quarterback play has not been great. Uh, uh, we did for one of our XFL betcasts, we did that New York DC game and Matt McGloin getting benched. Really, the only storyline was the fact that he basically threw the entire New York Guardians brain trust under the bus and then not one but two interviews with uh, ESPN sideline reporter Diana Rossini so uh, that was like the only intrigue of the game because uh, because New York uh, was obviously dreadful in that game and they're getting bet against accordingly all right so we take a look at this round of games here coming up we got the Houston Roughnecks laying six and a half on the road at the Tampa Bay Vipers and the Vipers, a lot of people liked this team coming into the XFL season. They were believers in Mark Tressman, his familiarity with the CFL and some of the CFL-type concepts and characteristics here of this league. But they've scored one offensive touchdown. So, or No, they haven't, have they scored an offensive touchdown so far? The, uh, the Vipers, uh, I believe they've scored one. Yeah, it's, it's been a mess. I mean, maybe this scheme is just a little bit too hard for them to figure out, but it has really not been a particularly good look for them thus far. No, and, and I think they've been a little bit of the surprise uh, in a bad way because Mark Tressman won three Grey Cups in the CFL, so this is a guy that has won. I know uh, it didn't really work out for him uh, with the Chicago Bears, and these teams are looking like his Bears years rather than his uh, – his CFL years, but uh, yeah, with, with Tampa Bay, uh, Aaron Murray did not play well week one, two red zone turnovers, and then they went with Taylor Cornelius by and large last week, a kid out of Oklahoma State, whereas you kind of figured, okay, they're going to go with Quentin Flowers because he's more of a run-pass option guy, and I think this league probably is more conducive to having a, a run-pass option uh type of quarterback somebody can scramble I mean look uh, Cardell Jones not really known as a runner but was able to make some plays with his legs and continue drives especially early in the game and uh, and that's so important because uh, it helped him get off to a good start where DC eventually put away New York but uh, to the Houston side Houston has been the top offense in the league they uh, scored 28 last week 37 in week one uh you weren't sure really if that Houston offense from uh, from week one, if that was uh, because of the L.A. defense or if that was a product just of the L.A. defense. But turns out it's probably a little bit of both uh, Houston and uh, P.J. Walker, who, who spent three years with the Colts, uh, have have done very well. June Jones is the uh, is the coach down there and uh, runs a little bit of that old run and shoot look. So. Uh, Houston, I think, definitely, and it's not just because of the record, they're the team that has looked the best to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn on this one. I, I think I like the under a little bit, now down to 45. It was 45 and a half when I wrote this up last night over at bangthebook.com. But for Houston last week, they had two very, very short touchdown drives in St. Louis territory. So the Battlehawks very easily could have won that game. And we're kind of getting to the point now, we do only have two data points, but some of that overreaction is probably going to start setting in here a little bit. The Vipers, you know, in week one, they moved the football quite a bit. They didn't really move the football overly well last week, but they did move the football in week one. They just, as you mentioned, Aaron Murray had the two red zone turnovers. They've squandered a lot of their scoring opportunities. 
I feel like maybe six and a half is a little bit big in this game, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously the Vipers need to find a way to start cashing in some of their chances too. Yeah, and you mentioned in terms of the under, uh, all four games have been bet under from from the openers. Uh, where you're getting a a lower number now than you would have been uh, when these pretty much, <coughs> excuse me, opened up uh, market wide uh, at uh, what you would. Uh, our full limits at the time. Uh, eventually, I think that you're going to see regression more to the higher scoring games, not necessarily just across the board, but the totals probably now in the mid forties by and large are where they should be. I think uh, when they were 40 and a half, they were obviously too low because they all got uh, crushed to the over. And then, once they got into the 50s, those were way too high. So now, seeing them in the mid-40s, I think, at least on an aggregate or an average, are really the right way to go. Uh, eventually, you're going to see buy points on the over, I think, because the league, with the rules, they're doing everything that they can to promote scoring. So maybe as these teams get get more timing and get more reps, you're going to see higher scoring. But I'd be with you on Tampa Bay. Uh, I'm seeing a, a, a seven at Caesars. And look, seven might not be with the extra point differentials and then kind of some of the oddball scores. Seven might not be the key number that we would think in the NFL, as it is in the NFL or even somewhat in college football. But this getting a seven, and it actually proved to kind of work out that way last week when uh, Dallas and L.A., because uh, – L.A., you remember, went for three down 19 to 15 and converted. And it was 19-18. Dallas gets a touchdown, does not convert the PAT, so it lands seven. So if you waited on the seven with L.A., you at least got a push last week. Speaking of Dallas here, they go out on the road to Seattle. They're a five-point favorite in that game, total 43 and a half. And look, 6.7 yards per play last week for Dallas with Landry Jones at the helm. Did throw a couple of interceptions. Dallas had 103 yards and penalties, three turnovers total. So a lot of things that Dallas does need to clean up, but they've got Landry Jones now, and they take on a Seattle Dragons team that, look, last week Brandon Silvers wasn't very good, 7 of 18 for 91 yards. 68 of those yards came on one play. Outside of the 68-yard play, 130 yards on the other 50 plays. I mean, is, is this game just poorly lined with Dallas only laying five? I, it's probably right in, right in the middle of, of where it should be. And you're right about Tampa Bay uh, in Seattle. Tampa Bay had three turnovers last week. And uh, that's basically what New York did in week one is taking advantage of uh, Tampa Bay's turnovers. And Seattle did the same thing, same song, different verse in week two. Uh, with Dallas, you look at those numbers that, that Jones put up and, and obviously – a lot more in the passing game. But what really helped Dallas, because that's the game we did on Sunday for the BetCast, uh, Dallas at L.A., what really helped Dallas is getting that running game going. And they had uh, Cameron, Ar- Cameron Artis Payne, who used to play at Auburn, Lance Dunbar, former Dallas Cowboy. They were doing these, like, quick hitter kind of half play action handoffs uh, o- over the middle, and they started to gas L.A., Now, I don't know if that was just L.A.'s defense getting tired or what it was, but they weren't able to run side to side on these teams. But they were able to get it up the middle, those little draws, those little quick hitters, and uh, 
and be able to break those for some big runs. So uh, if Dallas can do that, and that's basically what I've noticed in this XFL, at least so far through two weeks, teams that can at least keep the defenses honest in terms of running the ball, not if, not if, not that they're putting up huge statistical numbers, but teams that can run the ball are the teams that win in this league. Yeah, and as we look here, the Dragons in two games, six of 25 on third down. And last week, I know the Vipers struggled to score once again, as they have in both of their games, but they were nine for 17 on third down in that game against the Dragons. So if Seattle can't stay on the field and can't get off the field, I think Dallas is ripe for a blowout victory here. Yeah, uh, and and Dallas had that disappointing week one when they didn't have Jones in the lineup. And I think probably, too, wasn't just the quarterback play. Uh, How Money Me and Bob Stoops, in terms of the play calling, were a little bit conservative, probably, because they didn't have Jones in there. And uh, and then uh, St. Louis really ran the ball very well. They're the best in the league at, at running the football. And uh, I think probably threw Dallas off. But Dallas was listed as the uh, pre-flop favorite on the futures market to win the XFL championship. Yeah, I, I, I do think that they're a better team. And, and Seattle had a good crowd on Saturday. So uh, I was amused at some of the XFL content that was out there last week in terms of the previews. It's like Seattle's got the best home field advantage in the league. Well, how do you know? They haven't played a game yet. So uh, you're assuming based on the data that we have from the Seattle Seahawks that they have one of the better, the best home field advantage in the NFL. And actually Seattle at home uh, wasn't that good because now that's priced into the number because their home field advantage has been so good for many years. But yeah, uh, I mean, probably you still getting it priced into the market in terms of the Seattle home field. So this line you could argue probably should be six. I got to say, I mean, I think the beer snake in D.C., I think D.C.'s got the best home field advantage. I don't know if you saw that. I do, too. Incredible. I, I do, too. And uh, their their fans were passionate. Uh, it's a smaller stadium because it's interesting. Like half of these XFL stadiums are soccer stadiums, which is really where they should be playing these games based on the attendance that they're going to get and to make them look more full. And then half of them are either dome stadiums or regular football stadiums but dc at audi field that's only a little over twenty thousand seats and those are probably the crowds that they're going to draw for a lot of these games you're drawing in the 20 to twenty five thousand. those are good crowds for out of season if you want to call it uh football an alternative football league to get a, the crowds mls would get at some of these games i would think that that's the goal for the xfl in that regard so we moved to Sunday here, and you know there were a lot of questions about the Battle Hawks coming into the season, but St. Louis could very well be 2-0. and I mean, if, if they don't have some turnover issues last week and lose the field position battle so badly against Houston, they would be 2-0. and They were 0-4 on their extra point tries in that game as well. But this team with Jordan Tiamu at the helm, 50 first downs. He's probably been the best player in this league, although some would say Cardale Jones. They're now a 10-point favorite against the New York Guardians with a total of only 40 and a half here for Sunday's first game. Yeah, who'd have thumped that? Because this team was uh, dead last on the odds board because uh, a lot of these other guys, or at least most of them, have had some kind of head coaching experience. And Jonathan Hayes, the former Kansas City Chief tight end, has not. 
Uh, he coached at Oklahoma, was the special teams and the tight ends coach. He was with Marvin Lewis at Cincinnati for 15 years as the tight end coach. So here's a guy that not only never really got an opportunity or was never even close to getting consideration for a head coach, but he was never even a coordinator or an assistant head coach. So there was a lot of unknowns around Jonathan Hayes in St. Louis, and that's why I think all the books uh, put them as the longest shot on the board to, to win this league. But they've been a lot better than I think people have thought because they can run the ball. And uh, they led the league. That's what they did against Dallas. They basically ran the ball. And, uh, and Jordan Tamu, uh, very you know, short passing game, not taking a lot of bombs down the field, but very efficient. Now, last week they ran the ball 43 times. For 126 yards, that's 2.9 yards a carry. So that's not very impressive statistically, but it's effective because it keeps you on the field. It keeps you in the game. They actually outgained Houston by a ton last week. They actually, I think it was 390 to 238. Like you said, the four missed extra points, and they did also have two turnovers. So, uh, so they threw two. They threw two interceptions. Even though I think Tamu has been a lot better than people thought, the uh, kid out of Ole Miss. But I, I am still surprised just looking at them laying ten here because this was a team. Maybe they got mispriced. They probably did. But now you got a team that was the bottom of the barrel going into the season, laying ten points uh, to New York. But that being said, I don't want any part of New York. I did not like what I saw out of Matt McGloin last week. I didn't think New York was that good in week one either. I just thought they actually played smart, fundamental football and let Tampa Bay make a bunch of mistakes and take advantage of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't want any part of New York. I don't know if they're going to go with McGloin. I don't know if they're going to go with Marquise Williams. They eventually benched McGloin for Williams last week. So, uh, uh, I don't know if I want to lay the 10, but I definitely don't want New York. I think given McGloin's overall candor throughout that game, I mean, it probably winds up being Marquise Williams this week. And if it is, I kind of like the over 40 and a half to a degree, because as you said, I think dual threat quarterbacks are very dangerous in this league because everyone's trying to figure everything out anyway. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that you want to do is have to chase around somebody who can improvise on offense. So now yeah, you're going to have two mobile quarterbacks in this game. I think over 40 and a half, if Williams plays, is the look. Yeah, because basically what you're wanting to do, even if you're not a great running team, you want to be a good enough running team to get that that stuff in the third and manageable, where all of a sudden, uh, where all of a sudden you uh, are able to have a third and three or third and four or something like that. Uh, to, to where you can have short passes and just continue drives where these drives are not stalled out. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think uh, that's what you're looking to do with these mobile quarterbacks. I mean, even a guy like Cardell Jones is, what, 6'5", 260 or 270? He was able to run the ball last week and get him some early first downs early in that first quarter, which I thought really set the tone for the rest of the game. That dude's a tank, man. And and speaking of Cardale Jones here, we talk about him as the D.C. defenders are an eight-point favorite on the road against the Los Angeles Wildcats. Total 44 here for this one. And, you know, Cardale's played very, very well. The D.C. defense, I think, has been one of the biggest surprises here of XFL play so far. But now they're not facing Matt McGloin. They're not facing Brandon Silvers. 
probably going to wind up facing Josh Johnson here, assuming he gets through this week and practice healthy. So a little bit of a step up in class here for the DC defense. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And uh, would lean a little bit with Los Angeles. And one of the things we were talking before the show about just kind of the general players, some observations we saw at the league, arguably one of the funniest memes outside of the beer snake in, uh, in DC at the defenders game. Winston Moss, the uh, head coach, he was the former assistant head coach under Mike McCarthy at Green Bay and, of course, a longtime NFL player. Winston Moss, who's the head coach and GM of L.A., they showed him he's sitting on the bench with his arms spread out, and he's the head coach of the league. And I just I, – I did, we just noticed that, and, and all the little memes were being sent out over Twitter over this. I, I, just, thought, I just thought that was absolutely hilarious uh, just uh, – seeing that in that moment uh yeah la la did give up a lot and we know that they fired their defensive coordinator pepper johnson in week one in terms of the stats it didn't get any better they looked a little bit better but they also looked when they got into that fourth quarter that they tired out on defense so you may have some guys that still aren't in shape and whatnot so that's why i think uh one of the reasons you could see them uh getting bet against here. Plus, I think the D.C. defenders right now, because they've been that first game, that early game on Saturday, where probably the most people are watching uh, for the first two weeks, the D.C. defenders are like the America's team of XFL. People like these guys. The fans have been into it. Uh, I've seen all over Twitter the, this is a D.C. defenders fan account. And and people actually putting their logo and their avatars and, and, and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, DC is definitely the team that I think that I think people like, and they gravitate toward Cardell Jones, familiar watching him at a high level at, at Ohio State for uh, college football and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I see why the defenders are getting the money here, but if it goes up a little bit more, I would have to step in on LA. Yeah, I like that approach. I think you're definitely onto something there, and and I'm kind of thinking over maybe in this game too, you know, because you've got. Two really good wide receiver groups here. Obviously, Nelson Spruce, been the best wide receiver in the league so far for the Wildcats. Cardale spreads it around. He spread it around very well in week two. Eli Rogers is probably the best overall wide receiver in this league, I would say. So, mm-hmm. I think you got two pretty decent skill position groups here. Two good quarterbacks that have some experience. I think Johnson in, in his second game should be a little bit better. Maybe this is the week we finally get some scoring with this product. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And it's just kind of picking which one. I don't want to really bet all the overs across the board when all the unders are getting bet. But I think at least we go two and two to the over and maybe three and one, because I think now they're being priced accordingly and bettors are going to bet like we always talk about in a variety of other sports throughout the year recency bias they're going to see all these games have gone to the under they're going to continue to bet them accordingly so you can either try to come back on the overs or what's really been doing solid in xfl solid business i talked with johnny avello at DraftKings last night they've been getting a lot of activity on the end game for for these things and, and a lot more than they admit that they anticipated so that's what you're seeing. So you see this zero zero first quarter, and then all of a sudden now they're over adjusting in terms of the end game. So you get a total at 45, let's say it's zero zero. Well, now all of a sudden it's like the low to mid thirties. And that's when you can jump in. And like, that's what I did with Dallas LA last week. 
I took the second half over. It was 19 and a half because I think it was like six to three at the half. And then all of a sudden they ended up with 43 at the end of the game. All right. So before we let Wes go here for this segment, let's talk some golf. WGC Mexico Championship, Rory, DJ, Rom, Thomas, the favorites here of a very, very good group of players. Once again, this is a an event that's been around for uh, three years now, I believe this is, with the Mexico Championship. There was another WGC event. It got switched over to Mexico. Very good field, $10.5 million purse. Who do you like this week? Yeah, and uh, and Adam, you know, we've, we've uh, talked uh, golf futures a lot over the last couple of years, and uh, you know that I usually don't like favorites in these type of event in, in these type of events i usually will always try to beat at least the odds on market favorite but i did use roy mcelroy on the card this week at seven to one and and i guess why not he's 30 under par his last eight rounds here at chapultepec down in mexico this is a course by the way that's played at altitude uh 7800 feet of elevation so the yardage on the course is a little less than 7400 yards but it plays like about a 6750 or a 6800-yard course. You do not have to really use driver here. So you're going to see a lot of these guys use fairway metals, hybrids, uh, two to three irons off the tee, because they don't have to necessarily use the big dog. They can keep it in the bag. Uh, so Rory is a guy. He's got five straight top fives. He won the last WGC, actually, in, in China in the fall. And uh, – has, has played very well here. The only guy that's been better is Dustin Johnson. I skirted DJ a little bit because I saw him pulling wedge shots at Riviera, which is one of his best courses on the tour. And he's pulling wedge shots on a Sunday when he's somewhat in contention. So that gave me a little bit of a concern. And look, Rory fell back on Sunday. Uh, had to birdie at the last just to get back into the top five. But I do think that 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 he fits this week, and uh, there were a couple other a couple other guys I played as well. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood making his st- uh, even though it's not in the states, it's in Mexico, but his North American debut, shall we say, in uh, 2020. But he's been active playing on the uh, European tour. Had a runner up in Abu Dhabi earlier this year. Was runner up at the ending DP Tour World Championship at Dubai last fall and also won a couple weeks before at the Ned Bank Golf Challenge in South Africa. So the game's in good form, and he's also off three weeks of rest. I think that'll suit him well. Uh, a couple guys that have good ball striking numbers here, uh, Xander Shopley and Eki Matsuyama, I took them in the 20 to 25 range as well. Paul Casey, I got him as high as 50 to 1, now seeing him in the market at about 33. So uh, some people tipped him, and uh, Got him at a good number. One thing you want to look at with this course, this course is kind of a European-style course. It's played at altitude. It's kind of like Kranz over in Switzerland where they play the Omega European Masters or like a setup that you would see in Italy or Spain if you follow the European tour, just the, just the way it's laid out. So even though Europeans have not won the three events here in Mexico, it's been DJ twice and Mickelson uh, sandwiched in between, European players have been all over the top five every single year here. So if you load up your card with some European guys like a Fleetwood, like Rory, Paul Casey, Bern Wiesberger would be another good long shot to look at here. Sergio Garcia has played very solid here. Two top tens the last two years. 
load up a little bit with Europeans, and I think you'll probably be rewarded. Real quickly here, we have an alternate event as well because we've got this WGC where it's pretty hard to qualify for that. So we have the alternate here out in Puerto Rico at Cocoa Beach. Anybody that you like here in this alternate tournament? Yeah, yeah, I threw a few darts here, and that's basically what you do in this alternate event. I mean, people see Tony Finau, that that he's a big name that's won this event. He was 50-1 to the year he won it, so it wasn't like he was a short price. And I think people sometimes get scared because it's easier and I guess more safe to lay some of the shorter guys like Scott Brown, who's won here before was second last week at Riviera has some top fives here as well outside of his wins. But you know, at 20 to one in a wide open field like this, uh, no thanks for me. A lot of triple digit guys have won here. Of course, Martin trainer last year at 125. Uh, I started in the middle range. I looked at a, Bo Hosler at 40 to 1, Peter Uline at 60 to 1. Peter Uline was a 54 hole leader at the Corn Ferry Tour event last week. So uh, he's in at least solid form. Zinjun Zhang at 70 to 1, four top 25 finishes already in the 2019 2020 season, won twice on the Corn Ferry last year. Tyler McCumber, 70 to 1. Very good finishes and, and has an extensive background on the PGA Tour Latino America and also had all top tens in terms of the, the southern, uh, south of the United States events. Uh, Colombia, Panama, Bahamas uh, was a contender in all those on the KFT last year. Sebastian Kaplan, 90 to 1. Hank Leboida, Leviota, rather, 125 to 1. And Sam Saunders, the grandson of Honor Palmer, in on a sponsor exemption this week at 150. Those were just some darts that I threw this week for this one. And that's kind of what you have to do with this Puerto Rico Open, where there's real no clear consensus favorite. Love it. Wes Reynolds is working in here on Beast, and you can also see him in that Point Spread Weekly newsletter. Wes, when can people hear your work? Yeah, I'm all, we're all over the place, and the schedules have been switching a little bit because uh, post-Super Bowl, we have some of our talent that are going to take uh, vacations and the like and have time off. But uh, – Usually on the green zone on Monday and Tuesday nights from uh, 6 to 10 Pacific. Uh, also, we'll be back over the weekend on Sunday uh, from uh, 3 to 7 Pacific on that program. We have a, our golf show long shots on Tuesday nights, 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern for an hour on Tuesdays. And then uh, I'll be doing the Saturday XFL BetCast, which you can go to vcin.com and get more details on that. Well, make sure you follow Wes on Twitter as well, at Wes Reynolds and the number one. Wes, we appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me here. We'll talk to you again next Wednesday. All right, Adam, you got it, pal. There you go. There's Wes Reynolds once again, at Wes Reynolds and the number one on Twitter. You can find him on VSIN and also in that Point Spread Weekly newsletter. Coming up on our Thursday edition of Bang the Book Radio, I'll start with the Betters Box, a version of my MLB betting podcast. Then also John Ryan will join me at John Ryan Sports and the number one. We'll talk some college hoops and some NBA with him. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.